0: The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab number 151 for Monday, May 5th, 2008.
1: Thanks, folks, and welcome to the uh, Cinco de Mayo version of uh, of the Mac Geek Gab. Ah, we in. This might be our first Cinco de Mayo, John. I, I, I have not checked. I frankly, I didn't really think about it until just now, but uh, it's possible. Mm. It's our first no Cinco de Espa- Mayo. No hablo español. Okay. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, welcome everyone. Thanks for uh, thanks for subscribing. Thanks for tuning in. If uh, if we can use that vernacular. We have, uh, you know, we're still digging through this backlog of questions. I don't know what we're going to have to do. You know, I know we've been toying about with this whole idea of a second show a week or something, John. But uh, the the question volume certainly speaks to the demand for that. And that's all I'm going to say about it. Uh, We've got startup sounds to talk about, file types, EQ, time capsule. And we're even going to talk a little bit about bits and bytes, I think should we uh
0: oh yeah we're gonna get but you know so this weekend that this is something i wouldn't wish on my worst enemy maybe my worst enemy but uh i i told you what i was doing this weekend so it has nothing to do with mac but it all it, well, it kind of does because you know i've never had a machine get to the point where i had to totally wipe everything out but my work laptop with xp it got to the point where i think it was vmware i tried to install it the installer said everything was great or no, it didn't. It got to a point in that it hung there forever. So the installer mechanism was damaged Not to repair, install, and then it wouldn't apply system updates. You know, there's a way you can replace the core OS uh, components. So it was hosed. So, huh. So, yeah. So now I'm, you know, slowly going through the process of, uh, you know, so I reformatted, not with the Dell copy, which includes all sorts of weird stuff in there, but with a you know fresh version of XP, SP2. Uh, got the drivers from Dell, and uh, so hopefully it'll it'll remain stable for a while. But it's um, you know, and it's it's always kind of terrifying, which is why you know we're going to talk about Time Capsule. But that's why having something like that, um, you know, is 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 great comfort because I'm like, man, you know, did I forget something? Did I not transfer some data over and stuff like that? And and I still don't think Windows is at the point where it can bring a kind of working system over. You know, pull all your stuff over. In this case, that there really wasn't an option to do that. So. All right. Sorry to
1: burden you with that, but uh, oh, that's it okay. made me
0: all all the, appreciate the Mac all the more, where you know pretty yeah. much all the drivers and all the goodies you need are
1: all included, and you're just you know up and running. And and the um, chances that you need to do a you know, and I I certainly don't set myself up as a an Apple apologist. There there are there are things about the Mac that uh, that are not perfect, but uh, but in this scenario where you're considering or. or being forced essentially to totally wipe your machine and bring it back you know with a windows machine that's a pretty regular occurrence from my experience of course my experience is mostly on the consulting side so i would see machines with problems instead of the machines that were working well so my, you know my my views are tainted But, yeah, certainly far more regular occurrence uh, with the problematic machines on the Windows side as opposed to the problematic machines on the Mac side. But there is something we were talking about last week with Windows, John, uh, versus the Mac, where Windows did it better because you could set a startup sound. (laughs) Well, uh, we, we got an email from Ikuma, and I think I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, who found something called System Sound Extension. Now it's not really an extension because it's uh Mac OS 10 thing, and I'm pretty sure it's not an extension. I think it's just a preference pane. Yes. Uh but it's a preference pane that lets you set up startup sounds, shutdown sounds, et cetera, et cetera. And uh and we'll we'll post a link to the uh to the the page where you can go and download this. So if you want to create a startup sound with Mac OS 10, uh, that, that's really the easiest way to do it. you know. Certainly, uh, there's ways to open files and this, that, and the other, but, but this way actually plays the startup sound without launching separate apps and, uh, and doing all sorts of different things. So Now, you didn't want to talk about opening files, like, nope. say, with the open command. I sure didn't, and we're going to go so- right on to Todd <laughs> uh, hey. with file associations and types to, uh, to kind of continue that conversation for us.
2: Yeah, this is ADD Todd out of Orem, Utah, and I'm calling in response to MacGeekab 150 Um, File information. Uh, Both Mac and PC, I know, through personal experience, having crapped my systems quite often, also put as a header in the file in the first, I don't know, 10, 15, maybe 20 bytes, exactly what type of file it is. Uh, Some of the file recovery utilities that I've uh, found make a stab at it, when you're recovering files, and they'll go ahead and put on the extension that they think it is, but I have learned to use a text editor that uh, does, you know, programming extensions, so on and so forth, drag it into there to open and look at the file, and the first line always says what it is, whether it's a JPEG, a text file, or whatever, PCOS half the time, only looks at that when you double-click it and doesn't tell you what it's finding. Mac OS, on the other hand, when there's no extension, will look at that and say, oh, this is a JPEG, or oh, this is a text file. And it will open the associated program or application that would read it. Uh, I won't give you my email, and I won't give you my phone number, because I really don't expect you to call back. Have a good one. (laughs) Bye-bye.
1: Thank you very much, Todd. Yeah, so... Uh, what this points to is we were talking about how there were uh, files without the, the, the extension and how does this, how do it know, right? That that was kind of the discussion we were having last week. do it know? You, you know what I think it is? What's that? I think it's magic. It You know what, John? It is magic. And Hank wrote in and, and actually explained this. It, apparently, it, you know, I've been using Unix for a long time, uh, arguably the first OS I ever learned. And... I never heard about this, but it's it, it predates my my time with Unix. So obviously it's always been there. There's a command called file. And what it does is it compares a file against whatever file you pointed at. So, you know, if you, you've got a file called test picture, you, you say file space text test picture. And this is from the command line. And it compares that file against a, a database of sorts. Uh, which is in stored in uh, slash USR slash share slash file slash magic as it as it were, John. And what this magic file has in it is it says, okay, you know, uh, it's got, I think, four uh, fields for each line. And the first field says offset. So how far from the beginning of the file are we going to look for some identifying character? So you set the offset you set what it is so you know in the case of a jpeg it's going to be a string and then uh and then you set what it what in fact it's looking for and and uh, you know that might be the the characters jpeg and and then if all those match what the file is and and then you set you know mime type or, or something like that so so that's what this does and actually it goes pretty far if you point it at a png file um it, the uh let's see I'm looking for Tony's email here which I maybe I didn't uh now I didn't grab it uh but it but it actually goes ahead and, and shows you uh the bit depth of the file and and some various other attributes so it, it's a pretty in-depth command and clearly the OS takes advantage of this when it's trying to figure out what a file is and why shouldn't it right the the service is there that's the beauty of of building an operating system or building a a an interface on top of a, a robust uh, operating system like Unix is is you can tap into all this stuff, and clearly they have. So, uh, yeah, very, very, very cool. And and thank you, Todd and Hank and Tony and Harold and and everybody who wrote in and and mm-hmm. told us all about this. So.
0: And if you want to get down and dirty, the actual file itself, which uh, you and I looked at it, it's uh, it's pretty sizable. It's in uh, I believe user slash usr slash share slash file, and it's called. Magic. Magic, And yeah. you can, you know, load it in an editor, do a more grep through it to look for things. But um, but yeah, it's a, what did you find? It's about 12000 lines, I think.
1: Yeah, yeah. I did a, a word count again. Another another terminal command WC from the terminal and then a file name uh, will tell you some details about the file. And, and the first I, I typically only use the first two uh, results that I get. And and those are uh, the number of lines and then the number of words. So, uh, but yeah, it was, it was a little Mm -hmm. over 12,000 lines in, at least in the, in the version in, uh, in leopard. So,
0: yeah. And I've tried the, the old text editor trick. I mean, it sometimes it doesn't work because if the data is, um, binary and that it's not meant to be human readable, then sometimes the editor may show some weird stuff, but you're hoping that the very beginning of the file, which, uh, you know, I've done it on like JPEGs and stuff like that, but almost always you're going to get something that kind of gives you a little hint. And I guess this, uh, file and magic just, uh. It
1: does a very comprehensive
0: job of that. So it does. Uh, it very does. Very good
1: tip. All right. And uh, one one more thing from, uh, from Cirrus. He writes, I don't recall you mentioning this on the show, but in Leopard, at least, you can control click on a file or right click if you have a mouse that uh, that supports that and then hold down the option key. And that actually changes the context menu option from open with to always open with. And that way, uh, back to our discussion last week, let's say you have PDF files and you install Acrobat and now they're always set to open with Acrobat. If you want to change that for all PDF files, you right click on one, hold down the uh, option key and then select always open with say preview and then it'll set it back. Of course, you can do this from the get info window, just like we discussed last week. But, uh, you know, the option key to the rescue. So uh, a fantastic little shortcut there for us, John. I like it. I like I like the option key stuff. Very cool. Uh, all right, our first sponsor for this show is Smile on My Mac, and tonight we're talking about Text Expander. I uh, am a very, very happy user of Text Expander, and there was one thing about it that that drove me crazy. I, I type very fast. I've been clocked at you know one twenty plus, and Text Expander with Leopard was was giving me some problems where I would type some characters and then it would it would retype them again, and Smile on my Mac heard about this from from various users and and rushed to a fix. And the new version of Text Expander that just came out last week, I believe it's two three one, but uh, just go to the smileonmymac slash text expander, I believe, or just go smileonmymac.com, That'll certainly get you. But 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 I think slash text expander will get you right to where you are going to be able to download this. Now, what does it do? Text Expander is. A shortcut application so let's say i have some uh, bit of text that i type over and over again like my name well at the end of emails anybody that's gotten an email from me sees that i type my name dash d uh da, da, hyphen dave and so i type dash d and bam it types hyphen dave for me uh, but you can use it for much longer strings of text like uh, when I'm building the show notes, there's some things that are automated in there or some things that are repeated in there. So I have, you know, seven or eight lines worth of stuff and I hit, you know, comma MGGT because that's the shortcut I've set up for the M- the Mac Geek Gab teaser and bam, right through no problem. And uh, it just puts all that stuff right out there on whatever application I happen to be in. You can, of course, set it to be app specific. Uh, and that's the beauty of text expander. It lives as a little preference pane. It's $2995, available from smileonmymac.com, and of course you can download a free demo and check it out. So you want to talk about bits and bytes, John? Oh, you betcha. <laughs> All right. Well, Aaron asks, over the last few weeks, you've talked about various download/slash upload speeds, and I've gotta say, I'm totally lost on what is considered fast. I could also use some clarification on the differences between kilobytes and kilobits when referring to downloads and uploads, which is faster. OK, uh, you, you go ahead, John. You, you, you got this one.
0: Yeah, because we, we should start here. So I want to give we want to get a baseline here and the place to start. though things get kind of funny, but computer people, the, the most basic piece of data in your computer is something called a bit, which uh, I think stands for, uh, I don't think it's an urban legend, but it stands for binary digit. It can be a one or a zero. And uh, this is in a a numbering system. It's different from the way that you and I count in that it's uh, what we're going to call base two and that there are two possible values, zero or one the number system that you and I use for the most part, Dave, is base 10, where every there are 10 different digits. And you can even get into different things like something called hexadecimal, which is 16 digits, while there's only 10, so they use letters. But you get the idea. And as you start growing, um, and the first difference here is that you have a bit and a byte. A bit is always, or I'm sorry, a byte is always 8 bits. Remember that. So if you're given a speed in kilobits, and the the typical way that's represented, I I don't know if there's a standard for the first. I tend to prefer a capital K, Dave, for kilo.
1: Yeah, so but I've I don't it, think it matters. K.
0: Yeah, I don't think that matters. But the the character that comes next does matter. Oh yeah. If it's a small b, you're talking kilo bits. If you're talk, if it's a big b, you're talking kilo bytes. Now, as we just mentioned, a byte is bigger than a bit, so kilo bytes are faster. Now, here's a problem. So that answers that, and then he has a question here. You know, what is this speed? And and you could normalize things, and so he has a speed here: ninety-six ten kilobits per second. Um, now, one way to convert it is, um, and and I love this for various reasons. We may may deviate or, or come back to this here, but but a good way to convert these units. Well, you know, let me stick back a bit here. So this is where where things get a bit complicated. Yeah. Because uh, things start to become different when you're talking K, which most people acknowledge means a thousand, right? So if you say I want one K of something, most people would interpret that, unless you're a computer person, would interpret that to mean you want one thousand of something.
1: Right. If somebody writes uh, dollar sign one zero K, I know that we're talking about ten thousand dollars even. That is correct. Now, for whatever reason, computer people had to do it different. There there is a reason, but we'll talk about it. But you already said it. It's because we're we're talking about powers of two as opposed to powers of ten. But but go ahead. So because of that, computer people call K. Two to the tenth
0: or 1,024. So there's a little difference. It's 1,024 instead of a 1,000. Well, as you start getting to greater powers or greater numbers you start deviating more and more wildly. So if you're talking, for example, a megabyte, um, rather than being a million, it's 1,048,576, which is also 2 to the 20th. And to step back a bit, 1K is 2 to the 10th. So I think I'm making this clear. The The, the, yep. the point that I really want to make is that when you're talking representations on the computer, the K is different from a normal K or a meg, or a gig. Um and it just gets worse and worse as, as you start moving along. So um now a conversion tool. So so first I want to cover conversion tool and then I want to wag my finger at Apple and the hard drive industry, I think, in general. Okay. Um
1: well, so, I'm glad we have an agenda here. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> well you know, let
1: me let me wag my yeah, let, let, let's go for Apple here. So um Oh no, no, no. Oh. Stick with the agenda. Talk about the conversion tool. Always good to stick with the agenda.
0: Okay. All right, so conversion tool now you know a lot of times it's just really hard to keep track of what what units converting between different units. It's hard, but you know the swell guys over at Google they made it really, really easy, so if you want to convert from one unit to another and you can just put this in a regular Google search, but say you want to know, for example, you know one you know kilobyte equals space equals question mark kilobits oh well one kilobyte is a kilobit. That, that's just a trivial example but you can do all sorts of byte and bit and other conversions with the google calculator and it gets kind of crazy it, it just doesn't do things like this so it can do megabits and kilobits and and you can convert uh, between different units um and it just does a really good job, but but you're not only uh, it, it not only does that. And then I started sending kind of funny examples to you, Dave. Like for example, um, <laughs> you can com- convert from the ever popular unit of furlongs per fortnight and find out how many miles per hour that is. Because, yes. You know, it, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I like. So it. the calculator gets kind of silly because I don't think anybody really uses furlongs per fortnight as as a a, a measure they use day to day. Though I I could be
1: wrong. Well, I mean, you know,
0: I, I, think it, I, I think it's naval based, I guess a furlong is a, you know, a measure when you're on a boat, right? Isn't
1: it? A furlong uh, or what's a I I don't know. <laughs> uh yeah, it's 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 like just a little over a meter, right? Is that, uh, sorry, I sorry, a little know, over a I kilometer. It's a little Too over a kilometer. Long. It it's um I'm looking at we will look it up. Yeah, 1 one point one thousand, almost 1006 meters is what a Mm -hmm. furlong is and uh okay but the
0: calculator will tell you that but it also tell you some other interesting things like um especially in light of my recent birthday one question you could ask it is what is the answer to life or or what you want to say is the answer to life the universe and everything equals question mark and of course everybody knows that the answer to life the universe and everything is 42 (laughs) And the Google calculator knows that. That's good. All right. But another thing it does, which I think is built into the calculator, and and you mentioned this, Dave, was currency conversion. Mm -hmm. And actually, I was doing this when I was out in France. So you could say, you know, one, you got to be careful with the way you word it, but you could say, you know, $1 equals question euros. And it'll tell you how many euros is with the uh, current rate. But Google calculator is amazing how it just knows all this stuff here. (laughs) So. That's a handy tip for everybody, whether you're calculating, um, you know, network throughputs or whatever. But now here's my finger wag. Okay, now you remember, um, you do remember where I, I told you what a gigabyte is, Dave, right?
1: Yeah, you did. You told me a, a gigabyte is uh, based on that whole uh, uh, base two thing where we're, we're talking about powers of two, correct? Yeah. So, it's a, so,
0: for example, a gigabyte, according to the definition, is two to the 30th, which is um, 1,073,741,824. I think that's right, yeah. Now, here's here's a problem that I have, though, with, uh, I don't think it's just Apple, I think it's the hard drive industry, but riddle me this. So, I'm looking at the description for one of their latest machines, and it describes the hard drive space, and then it has a little footnote. And what it says is, by the way, for hard drive capacity measurements, 1 GB, which I'm assuming that means a gigabyte, equals 1 billion bytes.
1: Right. Do you see the problem here? Yeah. Well, it's actually it, it's it's become accepted that gigabyte has two definitions. One is the base ten version, and the other is the base two version. And it, well, but, I I know
0: I don't accept that a gigabyte <laughs> is a gigabyte. It's defined. It's two to the thirtieth
1: power. That is a gigabyte. Or or Apple can't change the definition of. Or something it's ten to the Apple. ninth power. It it is It is both depending on context talking about mm. ram it's 2 to the t- 2 to the, the 30th talking about anything else typically it's 10 to the 9th we're still talking about bytes versus I, bits i dis- i say that
0: anything that involves the storage of bytes should go by the computer system
1: I, you know I'll agree with I'll actually agree with you there yeah <laughs>
0: Yeah. No, you got to be consistent because and then I ran this utility and, and then I got a little upset because I ran this utility and on my portable. I remember when I purchased the machine, I got it with the 250 gigabyte drive, as I think you did. Right. 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 That's correct. And I ran this utility and it says total capacity, 232.9 gigabytes, parentheses, 250, 059, bytes. Right. If I remember, I purchased the 250 gigabyte drive. Now, that's actually
1: that's actually interesting because, yeah, you're talking about the same thing two different ways. It it, you know, I mean, if if they're if the operating system is going to call the drive uh, by uh, two to the 30th as a gigabyte, well, then that's how you should sell it or you should change the OS. But the OS is always going to be base two. The thing is disk utility is reporting it properly,
0: in that it as far as I can see is reporting the proper gigabyte capacity, which yeah. is based on the binary system, yeah, but in parentheses, they put the two fifty so so i th- and I don't think Apple is alone in this, i think it's it's generally the hard drive industry, as you said dave uh-huh. they they want it to latch on because the thing is a gigabyte is more. Than the conventional. So if they can make it right. smaller, they can give you relatively less and still say this is a 250 gigabyte drive. So that's right. Uh, that's a wag of my finger, not only to Apple but to the inhar- entire hard drive industry. Shame on you for <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> stealing all those bytes away from people. <laughs>
1: uh, okay. Uh, so I think we've I think we've exhausted that. Yeah. Uh, mm. The one thing I will add, since since um Aaron had asked about internet speeds. You know, hmm. he's seeing. He's going to speedtest.net. He's getting doing a, a download test, and he's getting ninety six ten kilobits per second. Now, a lot of times, things like menu meters or or things like that are actually going to report in kilobytes, or sometimes even uh, megabytes or megabits. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, menu meters would actually report that as not ninety six ten kilobits, but 1201 kilobytes, or uh, and I'm I'm doing my math very quickly here, but Google uh, calculator, what's that? Google <laughs> calculator, right? That's right. And oh, I got we got to do per second, that's right. Uh, so you yeah, that would be 1.17 megabits per second, and that's what you're going to see on your download meter, and uh, and um, uh, uh yeah, yeah, in in mean, Google megabytes per second MB capital B is bytes. Mm. Lowercase B is bits. Correct, John? Yes. Okay. So, so I would say in general, that's uh,
0: what I've seen in uh, for a decent cable modem connection. Yeah, it's pretty good. A megabyte a second. I, I think here, uh, Optimum Online, even though they're uh, well, the, the, the cable TV branch is starting to annoy me because they're taking my channels away. I got to say the download speed is one of the best I've seen. And I've seen yeah. sustained of about one point five megabytes. Yeah, that's download. great. Now, I don't know if that's good for Japan, though, because um, from what I understand in, you know, Japan, Korea and a lot of those countries, uh, um, you know, they blow away. I mean, you just look at the gadgets that they get way ahead of us as far as phones and stuff like that. And I was under the impression that they have the potential. So maybe it's just the class of service they can afford, but I, I think they have the potential for much faster speeds. Yeah, yeah.
1: All right. Uh let's move on to Pat. Pat has a an interesting question here. Hey
3: John and Dave. Uh this
1: is Pat up in uh Minnesota. I had a question about um system equalizers or something like that. I'm looking for a uh you know, a uh little program that could help me out with an equalizer for my entire computer, not just iTunes. Um hopefully you could help me out with that. Uh, this is where you'd want to cut me off. Okay, then we will cut you off. Okay, yeah, so, you know, we've all used the iTunes equalizer where, or maybe we haven't, but if you go into iTunes and you go to the uh, advanced menu, right? No, the window menu, you can choose equalizer and you'll see a window that, that, Looks a lot like the old graphic EQs that uh, that we were perhaps our parents had back in the 70s on, you know, on the on the on the stereo there. And most of the time you'd take the, the middle and drop it down and the highs and lows would go up and you get what they called the disco smile. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but that equalizer allows you to tweak things and a lot of times you know you might have a a setup where if you've got a speaker in a corner it might have too much low end coming out of it or you know depending on how you have things in your room or what kind of speakers you have uh, you may find that using a, a different EQ setting in iTunes actually makes things sound better and that's what it's for but that's only for iTunes as Pat points out so how can you equalize all of your audio well one program that I've used to do this many times and, and I'm actually using it right now to record this podcast is audio hijack pro from rogue amoeba. And with that, you can hijack the uh, system audio or really any audio chain. It's a very, very flexible program, but you, you hijack the, the audio and uh, then you can apply effects to it. And one of the many effects you can apply is an equalizer. So you would hijack system audio And then apply some effects to it. And, you know, one might be an equalizer and you set things the way you want. Another cool thing, and I used to do this uh, years ago with with like, you know, uh, the third person uh, or first person shooter games, rather. Uh, is I'd add a little reverb to the sound so that when you fire the gun or whatever, it you know it really kind of gives it some some uh, depth and space and and that sort of thing. So there's all kinds of stuff you can do, but uh, Audio Hijack Pro for me is the app that I would use. I, if there's some other app out there that's just built to EQ system sound, uh, please tell us about it because that would be that would be kind of a cool thing to to hear about. Moving on to John. John, does that sound right? And I didn't mm. mean John. John. Right. Right. Okay.
4: Hey, John and Dave. Uh, my name is John from Minneapolis. I have another question for you that I might be able to answer. Um, it has to do with wireless and the B G N standards and just wireless access points and routers in general. First of all, my boss here, where I came from, my boss at work made the claim that uh, even if you have a G, route or G card running on an N system, that the G card would not lower the speed of any other N systems on the card. So if you're running at... Uh, was a 208 on an N, and you introduced a uh, 54G card to that, that the N card would still run at full speed. I didn't think that was right, so I wanted to ask you about that first. then he claimed that if you have multiple N signals going to an N router, let's say you have four, that instead of getting the full theoretical 108, each one of those would get a fourth of that. So it acts like a hub. I didn't think that was right either, but uh, it was hard to find anything on Google about that. So I'm doing some research, and I thought, you guys are smart. I thought maybe you'd know. So anyway, what can you tell me? All right, thanks.
1: Bye. Yeah, you bet. Uh, okay, so we will quickly revisit this. If you go back and listen to GeekGab 147, which we did on March 31st of this year, we actually talked through a lot of this stuff. But the the net of it is... Your end machine, if it says that it's transmitting at 208 and you add a, uh, a, you know, a G or a B machine to that same network, your end machine will still say I'm connected at a maximum throughput of 208. But it does slow it down uh, by adding the B or G because it's got to change the, uh, I think, the symbol rate. Effectively, it's got to chop up the packets in a way to make things work for all the computers on the network. And that. Effectively s- slows down your maximum bandwidth. Uh, again, it, we we went through this in in great detail in uh, 147. So there's no real reason to 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 beat through this this yeah, uh, this particular I'd say horse in, here.
0: In general, and, and sometimes you have to do the, the secret handshake to, to get the setting here. You can set up the base to only talk at the, the, the most recent protocol. Right. So you can tell your you know like uh, now we have the time capsule. I can say okay, only talk n. Right. Unfortunately, my TiVo with its G adapter would not be happy with that. Right. So once you get into the compatibility mode, you open up the potential for things to slow down, not as slow as the lowest common denominator. Right. Um, But it will take a hit because it's trying to to make everybody happy. Right. And you just can't go at full board to do that. So so, um, just want to, in a nutshell, I think that that's our conclusion with that. And then... I guess the the second point there makes
1: sense to me. Yeah, I I agree. It it actually does act like a hub. There is a maximum throughput. So if you've got uh, four machines on the network and they're all in and only in, you know, and let's say you're using your maximum 208. So really, you're getting about like, you know, 110, 115 effective throughput for one. Uh, it will chop that into four, uh, based on based on what I've seen, and uh, and and that's that. There, there's only so much uh, bandwidth in the air, and and you got to chop it up. So
0: I and and I'd say is that it, as you start adding, you know, approaching a ridiculous number of connections. So four, uh, I would say it's safe to say that it divides it up. As you start talking five, ten, twenty, you get to the point where the the overhead of keeping track of everybody. It gets to be, you know, kind of like when we go to Macworld or some other, you know, show where there's a ridiculous amount of people with wireless and they're all trying to dogpile on one, you know, access point and it just, it's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah. I've seen this. The, it, it, there's just a point where the thing gets overwhelmed. Either running out of leases or just, you know, the, the, it can only handle so many. I, I forget what Apple advertises. But it's 50 people or something like that. Yeah, I think. For a lot of their devices. I, I think they've touched I think. upon it. But yeah. Um, yeah, there's a realistic maximum. But for. I don't think is is reaching that, you know, that that level at all. No. So. So hopefully uh, based on, the, you know, these answers, um, y- you still got a job. <laughs> well, he said it was for the boss. I mean, yeah, I no, that's important. The boss that uh, got to keep no. him happy.
1: That's right. Uh, OK, so Aaron, you know, uh, we already talked about Aaron a long time ago. Uh, but Ralph writes. Uh, asking about a time capsule and he can't seem to find an answer for this question he has the one terabyte version and has a 500 gig usb hard drive plugged into it that he uses as a shared disc between his mac pro and his wife's macbook pro how can he get the time capsule slash time machine to back up the external drive now we're talking about the external drive attached to the time capsule any thoughts on this john
0: Yes, so I actually, you know, during my adventure over the weekend, I did happen to have, because um, I haven't tried, I've only tried to plug a printer into my time capsule, and, and that works wonderfully. It's an HP 990 CSE, uh, kind of dated yep. inkjet, but it just works great. I have the same one over at the house. Oh, cool. Yeah. So I have, you know, it's, it's, it's an oldie but a goodie. Um, but then I'm like, well, what do I have lying around here that I could plug into the uh, to the time capsule? And I had the drive that I normally use to back up my uh my uh, uh work machine. And I'm like, "Well, let me plug that in and see what happens." Now it's it's a Lacie, it it will not it, it needs external power unfortunately. I tried. I plugged it in with the USB cable okay. and it's just like, "Huh?" Oh yeah. yeah. So it's a, a class of device that just doesn't, you know, the the USB drive can't provide enough oom for whatever the heck they're doing in there, which is kind of weird. Um but anyways, I plug it in, apply the power, and all of a sudden, the light on the time capsule goes yellow. I'm like, oh my gosh, what the heck's going on here? I start up the utility, and it says, the disk that you have attached is uh, something along the lines of damaged. Uh, please run a repair on it. I'm like, oh my God, what the heck happened here? Yeah. Well, finally, I realized once I uh, you know checked it from the Mac, and that this is a, a mini rant and, and something that still kind of confuses me to this day. Yeah. And maybe our beloved listeners can help here, but the reason the time capsule was cranky about this is that it was an ntfs drive oh yeah which is you know pretty much the the thing that you do on on windows
1: yeah i guess that would be the one default, of the options the default uh or yeah one of the options from windows 2000 and later essentially it's it's a way of formatting in the on the mac we talk about hfs plus uh on the windows side it's typically NTFS or FAT32 though there's some devices which would be FAT16 uh, but they're all right, just different right. different ways of of setting up a disk uh, and we'll leave it at that NTFS though yeah. at least when plugged directly into a Mac my experience John is that NTFS in OS10 is read only you cannot write to the volume without uh, jumping through a bunch of extra hoops
0: yeah so so two rants here so one rant is what the time capsule said was totally wrong and that the drive was not damaged. It was Well, unless you consider formatting a drive with <laughs> yeah. TFS is damaging it, but well, <laughs> I don't. And then why the heck can't the OS? I mean, it sees it. You know, it's just always read only. Why? Uh, now, there may be, as you pointed out, I, I don't know off the top of my head if there are third party utilities that will. There are allow you to interact normally with it. There are.
1: Okay. Well, there are on the Mac. I don't know. I'm guessing that's not going to extend to the time capsule. So.
0: Okay. So the time capsule is one issue, but then why the Mac OS itself cannot write to an NTFS volume. I don't know. Maybe they're creating an opportunity for, you know, individual developers.
1: I I, I don't know. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that it has something to do with the whole permissioning scheme on NTFS. It actually gets Hmm. really, really complex uh, and that's sort of the beauty of NTFS is as a server operating system, you can make it so that individual files have different permissions, just like Unix, actually. Um, but but it, it goes it goes a little deeper than that. So I, that that may be the reason they just said, you know what, just put up the wall. They can read from it. That's all they need. Mm-hmm, you mm. know, we know what you need. We're Apple. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Okay, so then I tried something else. I'm like, "Well, gosh, you know that." So that doesn't work. And uh, what else do I have here? I have a FireWire drive. Unfortunately, it's a USB port. And I'm like, you know, let me try this just for yucks. And and I took my flash drive, which is uh, formatted as a uh, FAT32. Yeah. I plugged it in, and I'd never thought of doing this before, but it showed up just fine as another disk. Oh, awesome! So what a cool way to share your flash drive. And you know, it fit. There was enough clearance for for this thing. So that was really neat, but I could never get to the point, I mean, and and when you connect to the time capsule or the disks connected to it, they just show up as this thing called SharePoint. I was trying to figure out a way, and, you know, I'll spend a little more time on it, but I was trying to figure a way to drag that onto the main drive of the uh, machine in question to see if I could trick it into, no, it just, so as far as I can tell at this point, I'm sure Apple could enable this. I mean, heck, it's connected to the device. Yeah. Now, on the other yeah. hand, it it doesn't the time capsule doesn't have the time machine software. So so yeah, I'll have to step back because really the the drive I don't think knows anything at all about time machine. It's just a drive.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's right. That's right. So I'm going to yeah. say that the the time capsule on its
0: own is not going to have the ability to be smart. I think the OS. So maybe in a future update they will take these. Uh, I guess they call them air disks or whatever and make a, a connected device or maybe some clever person will come up with a, well, no, it would have to be a hack. Yeah. So anyway, so, so I guess the, the, the thing is, uh, and then I did a bit more experimenting. I'm like, well, you know what, what if, though this isn't really solving the problem, but I'm like, what if you connected to the machine in question? Because I was up until tonight, because I haven't tried it under the impression that time capsule and time machine would only deal with, the, the boot drive of your machine. And I think that's really what it's intended for. Dave. Are, yeah. Are, are in you fact, on
1: this? you know, I'm going to go ahead and play uh, the next question we've got here because it, we're, we're getting into that, that, that subject mm. realm and, th- and there's some specific things that Joe asked. So I'm, I'm going to go ahead and, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. and roll the dice and play this question here.
3: Hey, John and Dave, Joe, Joe here from uh, Raleigh, North Carolina, longtime listener, a few time caller had a uh, question regarding time machine. And in particular, uh, what happens in Time Machine if you boot off of another bootable drive that has Time Machine running? Uh, my backup strategy is whenever I run a, a uh, an update, I copy everything over with Carbon Copy Cloner to another drive, boot off of that drive, and then run all the updates on that drive. That's all worked fine for years. But Time Machine has sort of kind of thrown a twist into that. Uh, What I had done in the preferences of that, since I had duplicate versions essentially on two different volumes of the uh, system and user folders and such, I had excluded the drive that I wasn't actually booting from in the preferences for Time Machine so that I won't, you know, booting up twice as much information as I needed to or booted, uh, backing up twice as much information as I needed to. Now that I've dubbed or cloned everything over and am and booting off the alternative drive to run the latest series of updates, I find now in that clone that the drive I'm booted off of is in fact in the exclusion list, implying that I am doing the time machine off the now older volume. And I'm not sure how to fix that. Uh, if you guys have any thoughts, I'd appreciate it. And here's where you cut me off.
1: Okay. Uh, yeah, so this is interesting. So, yeah, Time Machine, it's important to understand how Time Machine backs things up. So, if you're backing up to a time capsule, it uh, which I realize, Joe, is is not based on what I'm understanding here, but it really doesn't matter. Uh, you're backing up to a time capsule. What it does is it creates a disk image on that time capsule, Uh, If you're backing up to a FireWire hard drive, it it does not create a separate disk image. At that point, everything else is the same. On that disk, either the external disk or the disk image, it creates a backups.backupdb folder. Inside that folder is the name of the computer that's being backed up. Inside that folder is all of the backups you have, uh, but really they're all interlocked. So if you go into the latest, which is an alias to the most recent one, you'll see icons or folders for each drive that you have backed up the name of each drive. So in Joe's situation where he's got two drives that he's booting from, even if the new or the the backup drive or whatever you want to call it starts backing up to time machine, unless it's named the same as the, the first drive, which I'm assuming it's not. Then it's going to be fine. It's I mean, you may want to turn it off, but uh, but but it's still it's going to back up to a different place. So it's not going to blow away all the stuff that you've backed up. You can back up multiple drives to a time machine to to a time machine store. Now, as to to go back to our. uh, Well, let's answer Joe's question here. So, I mean, to me, it sounds like it's working totally fine. You could exclude the. By name, going into the Time Machine preferences, you could exclude the uh, secondary drive that you're using. And then if you're cloning the first drive to the second drive, well, that setting will stick. And when you boot Time Machine or when you boot from the secondary drive, it won't back up because that setting sticks Uh, by name. It it omits that drive. So going back to to what John and I were saying before, uh, by default, Time Machine only backs up the uh, internal drive now how does it do this well by automatically excluding all external drives but you can unexclude them by going into the time machine preferences and i believe it's the privacy tab is that right john
0: Oh, well, i think it's uh options yeah
1: options and then privacy right options and then it says do not back up do not back so up okay so it's, all Oh, i'm thinking of spotlight yeah yeah okay
0: yes yeah well okay. that's it you know and i have seen that a, a, a mini tangent i have seen on occasion I don't know if it's a bug where it is, but I've I've seen Spotlight attempt to index mm-hmm. the Time Machine backup drive. Have you seen this? Yes, yes, I. The first have. First time I saw it, I'm like, "What are you doing? Yep. Why are you indexing a backup of something?" Yep. And I told it to cut it out. So I think that's a bug.
1: Yeah, it is. And it, it the way to the way I've stopped that to 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 wrap up that tangent is simply by going into Spotlight preferences and clicking on Privacy. You'll see mm-hmm. the backup drive already listed there. But as soon as I go there. The index stops. So there you hmm. go. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, so if, if you have a backup, if you have an external drive, like on my MacBook Pro downstairs, John, I've got uh, three different FireWire drives that are connected most of the time. Uh, one of them has two partitions. So to the Mac, it appears as though four devices are, are attached or four drives are not attached. But, you know, there's four drives mounted. So you go into Time Machine and and all of them are omitted. Well, one of them contains my iTunes music library and mm-hmm. I want that backed up. So I just go in and I removed that from the do not back up list and sure enough next time away it went. So uh yeah, it it I I think for Joe it, you're fine. Uh for Ralph I, I wish I had an answer for you buddy, but uh I, I don't think the uh it, it's a limitation of the software in the time capsule and unless uh, you or or someone out there figures out a way to hack that software, I think we're uh I think we're at an impasse on that one.
0: Yeah. And uh, so uh, to wrap up, though, so I had tried today. So uh, here's an interesting little piece of input, I think. Anyways. Okay. Um, <laughs> so when, when I tried on my, on my portable to see... Because I had never tried this before. But, you know, for you, the listener, I'm willing to try just about anything, at least once. Um, I plugged in both my FAT32 USB drive and I have a FireWire drive that's uh, uh, formatted as uh, HFS Plus or, you know, uh, extended. Yep. And both of those appeared in the, uh, the, as you pointed out, Dave, they appeared in the time capsule, you know, do not touch list. Though the weird thing is that the flash drive, it was grayed out because I, uh, and it never backed it up. So, as far as I can tell, FAT32, uh, Time Machine doesn't like FAT32. It really likes, you know, Mac OS Extended. <coughs> as Interesting. far as the, uh, the backup drive. The only thing I could think of, and it was kind of a hack, is that, yeah, if you have a drive and it's not too big plugged into the time capsule, you can drag the whole darn thing over. the hard drive on your machine that's going to the time capsule but then you're you're replicating the data yeah that's just that's a hack that's terrible yeah 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 Yeah. (laughs) so it i mean it It would would, accomplish the task It would back up the data the problem is you're you're, it just seems silly because it's so close i mean it's 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 in the time capsule
1: yeah why can't you suck the data out of it so it's too close it needs to be arm's length in order to back it up so
0: uh so feature requests for Apple, I think that would be an awesome feature to to back up, uh, as an option to back up the, uh, technically it's yeah. possible. Yeah. They, and, and they just have to manage, you know, the, the, should they do that?
1: Right. Well, you know, Apple's got that whole 80-20 thing, right? Don't don't spend 80% of your time on something that 20% of the users want. Spend, you know, all of your time on stuff that 80% of the users want. Yeah, and, I mean,
0: the only yeah. other thing I could think, but then the guy would have to leave the machine on, is that you could plug that drive instead of the time capsule, and I can certainly see the advantage. Like when I found with the flash drive, he could plug it into a... I mean, if he has a Mac that he leaves on all the time, that that's the answer. But it sounds to me like, that. yeah, that's also kind of a hack. Yeah. To plug that drive as we pointed out into uh into a, a Mac because then I mean you could turn on a file sharing, but but again it's it's only going to be available when that machine is on, whereas the time capsule is always available to
1: everybody. Right. Right. Yeah, which is a beautiful thing. All right. Uh one one quick thing. You know, it's this is something I've been using forever. Uh, it, at least as long as I can uh, remember in recent history, uh, but Jonathan wrote in and and pointed us to a cool little service called Tiny Earl, t i n y u r l and many of you have have probably used this service. It's a it's a place where you go, uh, John, and you. Uh, have a, a big long URL for something and you paste it in, and, and what you get out of it is a very short URL, typically tinyurl.com/slash, you know, some five character code. And it's usually good for a month or so. So it's great if you need to pass it around or post it to Twitter, you know, that kind of thing.
0: One uh, service. For the newbies out there, a URL is the thing that you type into your web browser, Uniform Thank you. Resource Locator. Just for those that don't know, and it usually begins with HTTP. And slash slash, but it could begin with other things. But just, yep. Oh, you're right. People saying what's a URL, John? I appreciate you and I know that because (laughs) this is what we do. Uh, Yeah, but
1: so I I, and and then I figured out a a way of. of doing this a little bit better. And and, and I mean, I say I figured it out. I found, uh, and it's a website called snurl snurl. And what snurl lets you do is put a little, uh, thing right up there in your, your menu bar, like a little bookmark button and whatever URL you're at, you hit the snurl thing and bam, it creates a a snurl.com URL and automatically copies it to your clipboard. If you're using recent versions of Safari. So, Uh, Very, very handy and and then returns you back to the Web page so you don't have to jump all around. You just hit the little thing and then, bam, it's copied in. Uh, So I I just wanted to point that out. It's a little JavaScript based utility, uh, but you just drag it to your bookmarklet bar and and you're uh, you're good to go. So or bookmarks bar, I guess, is what Apple calls it. So Snurl.com or tinyurl.com. And uh, one last thing, because I've mentioned it before, and people have done uh, great things with it, is if any of you are interested in the VoIP service Vonage, let me know because I can uh, I can refer you now, and and you get a couple of months free, and it actually helps support the show too, which is never a bad thing.
0: Now you know Tiny Earl? The, yeah. The, to go back for just a little bit yeah, is yeah. that the technology itself is neither good nor evil; just the people that use it. Correct. But um, you know, if you you may have to be careful because a, a URL. Typically reveals the nature of the contents. Mm. Whereas a tiny URL thing does not. So, for example, you could get. Rick Rolled Yes That's right And we will link To a Rick Roll For the one or two People out there That don't know What that is Because I think That that one That that's one's so like March tired. Yeah That's right That one's so, that, That's so last month Yeah or, or two months ago Yeah But anyways it, it could be used To play pranks On your friends Because they look at it And it's you know Like eight, eight Random characters Or whatever They use And um You could get A nasty surprise Absolutely Yeah but it to also be good because, yeah, I mean, who wants to type in, you know, hundreds of characters?
1: Yeah, and sometimes? email sometimes, you know, mail sometimes breaks up URLs even though it's not supposed to. So Tiny or oh. can, you know, crunch that down into a nice little format. So, Yep, yep. Uh all right. Wow. We uh you know, I thought about it during one of the uh, one of the, the sections here, one of our segments, but I we didn't say it. So 206-666-geek, which is 206-666-4335 is the number to call if you want to have your question uh, considered for part of the show or How to about be- email? What is the email, John?
0: Oh, I think it's feedback at uh, macgeekab. dot com. That's that the right? one.
1: You got it. All right. Yep. And then you can Skype to uh, Mac Geek Gab. So uh, if you've got Skype set up and you want to do it that way, it's great. That that filters right into our voicemail box. We won't miss those either. So uh, mm. come, please check. You know, send send all your stuff in. We love to have it. I know. I was complaining the be- not complaining, but mentioning at the beginning of the show that we're overrun with email. That's a good thing. Uh, that that it, it's great. So iphonealley.com is Michael Johnston's site and Michael is the one that converts this show into AAC for your interactive pleasure. The bandwidth is provided by Cashfly and that's what gets you the show real real fast and we love them for it. The podcast marketplace includes the A2 desktop speakers from Audio Engine, BB edit from Barebones Software, Text Expander from Smile on my Mac and of course, our favorite travel site harmon e Is there anything else, John? Comments? Um,
0: you know, those iTunes, uh, we're up to 166 right now.
1: Yeah, can we be at 200 by the end of May? Please, guys, we and gals, and and, and, and all of our uh, beloved listeners here. Well, you know, especially there's this other, other one, uh, the
0: MacCast. Oh, and we love Adam. Him? Yeah, that's great. Oh, we do? Because he's got 168. Uh- <laughs> He'll love it when he hears this. So come on, man! <laughs> Just give us two listeners. We we got to beat Adam. Wow, we'll well, I didn't realize one. this was a
1: competition. All
0: right. Well, well, now it is. I guess no, it he's, is. He's part. He's part of the the. He's the part back of the Backbeat Media thing. Network. Yeah, yeah, Backbeat Media family. So hi, Adam, and Absolutely. we're gonna. Yeah, we we should.
1: <laughs> should we should we, we set, set up a, a
0: contest? <laughs> a polite. Comment there you contest. go. So don't, don't put garbage in there. Come on. No, 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 but, that Put, out.
1: Yeah, put the real stuff in there. Put what you, uh, what you feel. And, and, but uh, We found
0: them very useful. Um, yeah. Constructive. Criticism is always welcome. Always. As well as just, you know, gushing, uh, you know,
1: praise. But uh, hey. <laughs> uh, you know, with that, I think it's time. Yeah. We'll okay. let the band play us out. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, hey, did you get your uh, stimulus check? No, I didn't. Should I? I didn't either. I don't know. I don't know where it is. You fought your taxes, right? Taxes? Mm.
1: <laughs> I, you know, along those lines, all I'm going to say is, <laughs> don't get caught.
3: <laughs> May not.